I want to start out by reminding you of something that we did two years ago. So, Brian, would you put that slide up? Y'all remember that slide? Some of you weren't here. New year, new look, new life, river life, fellowship, exit here. That was when we changed the name of the church. And I gave the analogy that I felt like that our church had come down to this road that came to an end. And that God was really bringing us, you know, it was time to get off, get off that road and get on a new road. And, you know, we knew a couple of things. And a couple of things we really knew the Lord had called us to become in in the church uh, is we felt like the Lord wanted us to quit being old school charismatic and become, (laughs) that's the way I looked at it anyway, become more creative in our worship, which, you know, we are becoming more creative in our worship. We're not by any means there, and more outreach-oriented. Those were the two things that I felt the Lord had shown me that River Life was supposed to demonstrate and be. And so we've, you know, we're in some, on some level at least walking in those things or, or trying to walk in those things. Um, but, you know, when you do something like that, you have a lot more vision and, and what you feel like God's called you to be and you, it's almost like you really don't know. You have to be like Abraham in a sense. You have to go out not knowing where you're going, just to be honest with you. God doesn't tell you everything. He tells you enough to get you going, and then He expects you to go and see what happens. So I've been working on this message today for two years, okay? I, I told you after I gave you the message on what we were doing, I'll give you the next message when I got it. So it took me a couple of years to get it, so it's been a long, hard journey, but... Uh, I'd like for you to go to the next slide. I'm using a couple of slides here. And I want to ask you this question, and this is the question that we all need to be asking ourselves. Will the road you're on get you to my place, God? So if you're a Christian this morning, that's a, qu- a question for you on a personal level. So, um, you know, the vision stuff I'm going to talk about our church this morning, that's the title of the message, by the way. Will the road you own get you to my place? But... This can apply to you as an individual. If you're not saved, where is you know this road you're going on? It's going to take you somewhere you don't want to go, <laughs> like hell, <laughs> you know. But if if you're a believer this morning, as a believer, ask yourself the road that you're on as a believer. Where are you at in your life? Where are you going in your life? Honestly, what is the road you're on right now? Where is it taking you? Is it going to get you to the place that God has ordained for you in your life? The destiny, the purpose, the thing that God puts you on this earth, is the road you're on going to take you there? And that's a very good question. And so if you get nothing else out of this message this morning, get that. Get that question answered in your heart. Because I think it's always a legitimate question. But So for our church, that's the question also is will the road that we're on get us to the place that God wants us to go? So what I want to tell you is, is where I believe God wants us to go. You know, this road that He's had when we exited off the old road and got on this new road, where this road has taken us. And what I would like to ask you to do is, number one, is I want to ask you to be a jury. You know, Arthur Burke, Y'all know, many of you know Arthur, but when he comes and preaches, he says, don't believe a thing I say. That's what he always says when he starts his message. Believe nothing I'm going to say. How would you like, how you, you know, God's going to fix it preaching. He says, don't believe anything I'm going to say. Listen to the witness of the Spirit. So that's really what I really want you to do. Because honestly, I'm good with God, no matter what happens. I've come to a, a real place of peace in my life, in what, in what I'm doing in my life. And, I'm, and I'm, I've told the Lord, Lord, I'm good with you no matter what happens. I'm going after you no matter what happens with everything else. And, and I sincerely mean that. So, so if none of this is God, if I've totally missed it, I'm still good with God. Amen. I'm still satisfied in my heart. And if none of my dreams and none of my visions come to pass now, if now is not the time, I'm good with it. Amen? And I want us all to be good, to find a place like that in God, because really the reason I'm good with it because God has been just rich in my life on a personal level. And I'm happy with God, and I love God, and I'm, I'm going on with God no matter what happens as far as my ministry and this church, etc., so on and so far. So I want you to be the jury. So watch the witness of the Spirit. Um, but like any jury... 
you had to be prepped, okay? <laughs> you know, when you're a jury in a courtroom and the judge has to kind of tell you some things so you can make right, you know, jury decisions. So I had to prep you. Before I tell you about where we're going, I wanted to tell you a couple of things that are significant to me on a personal level that will help you see where I'm coming from, okay? So the first, so this would help anybody on about anything in your life, I believe. And the first thing I want to read is some scriptures from John chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read them to you out of the Message Bible because that's really how the Lord spoke to me, these scriptures. And these are really just a, just a well-known scriptures about Nicodemus. And uh, it just, I love the way the Message Bible brings it out. So let me read this to you and describe to you some things. Okay, there was a man of the Pharisee sect Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if, you, if God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless, unless a person is born from above. Everybody say, born from above. It is not possible to see what I am pointing to. Jesus is pointing to something, okay, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be reborn again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to the original creation... The wind hovering over the waters, making mention of when the Lord created the earth. It's the Bible, the Bible opens up with that. You know, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the, the unformed darkness of the world. Hovering over the water, creation. The invisible moving the visible. The invisible moving the visible. A, bapti- a baptism into a new life. It is not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that. A baby you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within, inside, is formed by something you can't see and touch. The Spirit. And becomes a living Spirit. That's pretty good, isn't it? So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above. Out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone who is born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Nicodemus asks, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you're a respected teacher of Israel and you don't know these basics. Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. That's interesting. A little statement that Jesus. People talk about preaching. You know, you can't preach from experience, but yet that's what Jesus did. Gosh, something's wrong, man. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There's nothing secondhand here. No hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. So uh, this summer, we went on our family vacation, the first week of June, and, and I re- wanted to read the Gospel of John. And I read that, and somehow or another, that Scripture just really spoke to me something. And what it really spoke to me was this. I don't, I don't really understand, Lord. I'm like Nicodemus. I'm missing something. Now, I know I'm born again, like my New King James Version says, but I don't really understand this born from above stuff. Not really, Lord. I really don't understand it. I'm, I'm just like Nicodemus. And actually, if you study the Greek, which, uh, you know, I really, they say that word born from above. That thing appears five times in the Gospel of John, and three out of the five times they use the term born from above. And they say, if you look at the context, they say, I'm talking about people who are smarter than me. If you really look at the context, which you have to agree with, and Jesus is talking about being born from above, being born of water, 
which comes from above, being born of the wind, which comes from above. So really, really, let's think about this for a minute. The Message Bible has, has translated those verses better than the New King James translated them. You hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Being born from above, it really spoke to me. And I can't really explain to you what happened to me, uh, but something happened to me at that point. And it was almost like, you know, like you woke up one morning in this wintertime, you know, <laughs> you went outside and it was nice the day before and all of a sudden, man, it's cold out here. <laughs> the season changed in your life. You know, we have those spiritual seasons in our life and God did something in my life when I was down there at the beach. It was like I went through a doorway or I went into another season and I can't really put my hand on it because it was nothing traumatic or dynamic. But all I can tell you is from that moment in my life, a lot has really changed both in my spiritual life and in what's happening in my life around me. And... um, I feel like the Lord sort of used that to really try to bring me into something, to really teach me what He said. He said, take it from me, unless a person is born from it, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to. And that was the thing that, I, that really bothered me. Is I felt like I couldn't really see what Jesus was really pointing to because he, he was talking about salvation, for sure. I mean, that's your beginning point. But for us as believers... There's more. It's just like I've always said and I always believed. We'll get to heaven and find out that John 3.16 had meanings we never imagined on earth. We, always, we thought we think we understand John 3.16. There's probably 30,000 more levels of meaning to John 3.16 we've never got. And I realize there's something here that I'm not seeing, Lord. There's something here I don't understand, Lord. And I need you to help me. I need you to, I need you to show me what you're pointing to. I need you to reveal this to me because I am like Nicodemus. I don't understand. So, um, the Lord gave me two things that has helped me. So what I want to do is give you those two things. Are you all with me? I'm going to give you those two things that helped me. And then I'll tell you what I feel like. I'll tell you the easy part, the, the vision part. First one is Matthew 4.17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's pretty, everybody knows that. Um, so the Lord said, This is what the Lord said to me. He said, Byron, you need to repent. That's what He told me. You need to repent. If you really want to know what I'm talking about, if you really want to see what I'm talking about, you have to repent. So I said, Okay, Lord, what do I need to repent of? Now, I'm getting serious here, Lord. I want to know what I need to repent of. I mean, because I can repent of yelling at Becky and waking up in a bad mood, but that was really not what God was talking to me about. He wasn't talking to me about just repenting and being a you know, hard-to-get-along-with guy or you know, wanting to slap people and all that stuff your flesh feels like it would like to do at times. Uh, so I spent some time really asking the Lord about repentance, what I really need to repent of. And in the process, I began to study the word repentance, to really understand it. And really, if you... Really, literally, you know what repentance means? It means changing the way you think. It doesn't mean repent. Listen to this. Now, this sounds like heresy. It sounds like heresy to me the first time I say it to myself. Repentance does not mean stopping sinning and turning to God. That's not what repentance means. That's the result of repentance. That's what Jesus said when He said in there, you've got to submit to the original creation you've got to go back and start thinking different. And if you really look at the word repent, it's made up of two words, re, which is, means turn, and pent, which we get our word penthouse from. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Penthouse, you know where the penthouse is? Yeah, it's up there, the penthouse suite. It's up on top. That's <laughs> where God's at. In other words, repent means, this is what it literally means, you have got to stop thinking the way you think, and you've got to start thinking the way I think. You've got to go back to the way I originally said the thing. And if a person does that, you'll say, Oh, gosh, I've got to quit yelling at my wife. That's awful. Because God says, That's awful. <laughs> you, know? you see, we will turn from our evil actions towards God. You understand that? So that was, the Lord said, You've got to start seeing things the way I see them. You've got to quit seeing them the way you see them. 
Because Byron, the way you see him is wrong. And you're just like Nicodemus. You're sitting there asking all these stupid questions that really are irrelevant questions. So, um, so that was the first thing the Lord really started doing. It's, like, it's a journey of repentance for me. And it's not repentance of specific sins, but it's a, it's a, it's a learning to get back to the original creation submitting to the original creation, the way God designed us back in the garden before the fall, the way He expected man to live and the way He expected man to think. It's getting back to that kind of thing. And you might think, well, that's crazy. How can anybody do that? Because it doesn't tell us anywhere in the Bible how to do that except for one place. And His name Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of a person who did that. He thought the way God thought. And so, you know, that's a good way to start learning. So you go back and study how he thought. So you start, when you really commit yourself to that, you start slowly seeing things different. It's not in a day. It doesn't happen in a day. I'm not there. I'm just, you know, again, as Arthur Burke said, I haven't arrived. I've got on the train and left the station, though. Or maybe I'm just going to the station to leave. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But the Lord has really helped me to begin to see things different to start seeing them the more way he sees them, to see people different, to see situations different. It's really helped me a lot, really, because I've been in a couple of seasons where I thought the world was collapsing around me, and I thought, I don't think, I'm not too concerned about it, really. <laughs> Am I messed up, Lord? I'm not concerned about these. Everybody else seems concerned, but the Lord's not concerned. So that was one thing, so that'll help all of us. All right, the other thing, this happened, the, the first, it began before the Lord spoke to me at the beach, is Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Are y'all with me now? Or have you left me? Check that on me. Uh, and this is what it says, Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which sort of means, uh, why are you saying that? Because that, you could be preaching other things. <laughs> That's why he said it. He got real specific about what you're supposed to preach. That's what the Lord wants us to really get to, is, is that. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So you see those three things are all connected. Preaching the kingdom of heaven, miracles, and freely you have received, freely give. Now here's the thing. The way I, the way, okay, the way I understand this is you can't do the first or the second, not really, until some, to the third thing happens. The freely you have received, the freely you give thing has to happen in your life. Because you have nothing to give until you've gotten something. So I've been on this other journey, and the journey is called learning how to receive. Okay? The learning how to receive. But the key is you can't receive stuff. If you don't give what you get, it, that journey comes to a dead stall. It stops instantly. Because God's really not interested in giving stuff, and it goes nowhere. So here's... It's, this is the, like the most humiliating thing I've ever had to do in my life. Okay? It's embarrassing because here's what happens. When you start giving what you receive, you expose yourself totally to being wrong, to falling flat on your face. Okay? To being misunderstood by people like, well, he's just trying to be spiritual. <laughs> or being misunderstood by people because you are trying to be spiritual. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I found out as you begin to give whatever little thing that God gives you, as long as you're willing to let that pass through you, then it gives, there's some kind of expectation that starts happening in your life. And the expectation is this, it's for miracles. You, you start expecting miracles. And I don't really know why it is, but I was driving down another, another billboard on the Interstate 85 up there near Chapel Hill. There's this big billboard that says, We're Expecting Miracles. And it's for a children's hospital. And I thought, man, that's pretty significant. They're expecting miracles. And I wonder how much of, you know, here's a hospital expecting miracles. They probably need some miracles. But we need to be expecting miracles. And I feel like God's teaching me, Byron, you can get into this miracle thing if you're willing to give the little you have. If you're willing to expose yourself. If you're willing to tell people things that I've told you, even if you're not sure about them. Even if you feel like you're going to feel like a, you're going to crash and burn and fall on your face and feel embarrassed about it. 
Are you with me on that? And so there's this other journey. So there's these two journeys in me. The one is this journey of repentance, and the other one is this journey of learning how to receive. So I have this thing every day. Lord, I'm needing something from you really bad right now. I need you to touch me today, Lord. See, we sort of have this mindset we're not supposed to do that. I don't know what it is. It's religion. But, but the mindset should be this. I am very desperate, Holy Spirit, for you to come right now and touch me right where I'm at. So when I get up and walk out of here, I've got something going that's going to help in the situation that I'm going to face, the people I'm going to see, the people I'm going to run into. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to be a preacher to do this. In fact, it would be stupid to think that. You just have to find, look, run into somebody who has a need, run into somebody who needs an encouragement, or possibly they could get something out of what you just got and just throw it out there at them and not worry about whether they receive it or not. You've got to get good with God on it. You've got to get, well, you know, I'm good, Lord. If I fall on my face, I'm good with you. I'm not going to quit following you. Because it doesn't always feel real good. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? It doesn't always feel good to do that. Because honestly, this is the truth. Sometimes you're going to miss it. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. And you know what is one of the hardest things for me? Is to pour my heart out to people and they just look at me and don't say, that was a Lord or... Duh, walk off. That's hard to accept. You know, it really is hard to do that. But, you know, I've learned it doesn't matter because I'm, this is doing something in me. This is creating in me this hunger to see miraculous things. It's creating in me this, I believe, ability for the miraculous. And I believe ultimately it will create in me and put into me the ability to really preach the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's because that's where I feel like God is calling us all to go there. But we've got to start with the little He gives us because that's the stuff from above. Jesus was pointing to the kingdom of heaven. That's how it works. Are you all with me? So I wanted to give you one scripture on that that's really uh, in the Bible besides for the ever received, for the give. It's Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Brian wants us to get us back on that. (laughs) This is a great verse in the Bible. And it can be, you know, from an evangelistic perspective or, or for, from any kind of ministry perspective, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now, that's what it's saying. This is how, you, how your faith is going to be effective. This is how what God's given you is going to be effective. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And it's not acknowledging it to yourself. Because I can tell myself all day long, praise the Lord, God gave me a vision last night. You know, like Lord, like, yeah, I did give you a vision. Tell somebody about the vision. And that's what causes your faith to become effective in you. That's why you get this expectation for miraculous things, because your faith is being made effective and built up. That's how you do it. That's what it says right there. So... We're expecting miracles. Tapping into heaven. This is not something that I've gotten there. So those two things have really been real significant in my life. And y'all know that I've said that freely every seed, freely give 1,700 times. <laughs> I feel stupid sometimes saying it. But it's been real significant in my life. I mean, it really has. It's been, it's been profound in my life, really. That one verse has been very profound in my life. And I can't get away from it. I don't want to get away from it. And the repentance thing has been very profound in my life. Repenting, changing the way I think, seeing it the way God sees it. So those are the things that kind of started opening my eyes, okay, to be able to see the vision that I believe that God has for this church, the purpose that God has for this church. So the Lord has really doubled my vision. He's given me double the amount of the vision I had before. In fact, he, it's like He gave me 20, 20 more. Well, I'm not saying I've got 20-20 spiritual vision. I see everything. But I feel like he's, I've got this capacity in me to see stuff that I couldn't see before. And it happened because, number one, God did something miraculously and supernaturally after reading John chapter 3 about Nicodemus. And number two, because I began to seek repentance. And number three, because I started doing this freely you have received, freely give thing. And I will admit to you this, the way to freely have freely received, freely give is God did a, ma- a massive healing in my heart. 
of something, of a, of, I was carrying something that was from childhood, and God supernaturally intervened in my life out of the blue one day and did something that was incredible in my life. I wasn't even asking Him to do it. I wasn't even thinking about such a thing. And I've shared, I think I've shared that, but that took the, that was an eye opener for me as all of a sudden, whoa, the world's a different place when you get healed. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, those people are not creeps after all. They're not bad people. I just thought they were because I was looking through my lens of hurt. You need to get healed. You need to get healed. It'll change your life. And, but that's, that's the two things. So now I have prepped the jury. Okay? I prepped you. Now Luke chapter 20. I want to read that. I'm trying to bring you up to date now. Now I'm going to switch into speaking about the vision. Okay? Verse 9 through 16, the parable of the wicked vineyard workers. This is, well, we had this retreat a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, a pastor's and elders retreat. I'm thinking, dang, oh, I need to get something from the Lord. This is a pastor's and elders retreat. You can't be the pastor and not have anything from God. <laughs> You're supposed to tell them something. They're depending on you to be a pastor there. So I'm saying, Lord, what in the world? What are we doing, Lord? Help here. You've got to talk to me. So he gave me this, and then he explained it to me. And that's what I'm, and I shared this with them. It says, Then he began to tell the people this parable. This is Jesus. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to the vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. It was a rough bunch, man. <laughs> then the owner of the vineyard said, well, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine director saw him, they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? So he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. <laughs> so, you know, we know this is talking about Jesus Christ, and we know he was talking first all about Israel, uh, and we know it could be talking about the Lord and about the church. Today, you know, the church, the body of Christ, universal. But this is what here's what the Lord said to me. He said, first of all, you've got to understand something. I planted a vineyard. In other words, the Lord said to me, Byron, I planted this church. Okay? Now you need to get that real clear in your mind. People are always going, This guy's a church planner. And that's good that's okay for human terminology. But you need to get something real straight, right quick. Who the planner is and who the owner is. Now you need to settle those things in your heart. So I'm, I'm good with that, Lord. You know, I don't want to own it, you know. And I didn't feel like the Lord was fussing at me, but... Okay, but then, so he, a certain man planted a vineyard and leased it to the vine dressers. So really what the Lord has done, He has leased us. In other words, we're renters. That's all we are. We're renting something. You know, anybody here rent a house? You know what that's like. Hey, the dang on air conditioner's broke. Come fix it. Sorry, rascal. <laughs> Your money. Well, that's sort of the way it is. Lord, the air conditioner is broken. Somebody needs to come fix them. You know, we've got some money here. Uh, and it says he went into the country for a long time. Now, here's what it is he leases the church out to people, and then there's this time thing. You see, the Lord's really gracious. He doesn't ask for anything up front. That's the way he is with all of us. Look, here you go. I'm going to do this for you. And then there's this period of time, and then he comes, comes back and visits. So, he, so now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vineyards. In other words, that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. So there comes a time when the Lord comes back in that sense. It's like he never really leaves us, but you know what I'm saying. He comes back in that sense, looking, saying, it's vintage time, guys. It's, it's time for some fruit. Okay? And this is what the Lord said to me, Byron... It's vintage time for your church. It's vintage time. So um, there's this era, and this is what Lord was saying, there's this era, 
And this is the error. There's this mindset that the vineyard belongs to you. And that's error. And that's what happens. That's automatically what happens. In other words, this church doesn't exist for us. It does not exist for any of you. It doesn't exist for me. It doesn't exist for the babies of all people. I mean, if it could exist for anybody, it'd be them because they've taken over. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it really exists for the Lord. Now, I know we all know that. But when he's saying, listen, I'm coming, it's vintage time, and I want something. So, and I think this is what he wants. He wants a church that is committed to living from that above kingdom that he was trying to tell Nicodemus about. A church that exists for his use. Now, that's really the truth. I mean, that doesn't sound really anything really profound at all. Um, I don't really have anything profound here to say, on this, not to be honest with you. But uh, I wanted to give you another scripture, and I've really preached a lot about this scripture, but this is very important for us to understand this scripture. Are you all with me? Yes. You're not bored on me? Like, what's the vision? <laughs> Get to it. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'd be saying. All right, Philippians 2.25. This is a very important scripture. A year and a half or so ago, Becky and I was out hiking, and the Lord started speaking to me and said, you've got something messed up about the way you see community and fellowship. You got leaven in your doctrine and theology about that and you need to fix it. And he gave me this scripture and it fixed it for me. He, this is what Paul said, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. So the messenger of the Lord and the one who ultimately is able to minister to the needs of God's people. You need to get this. Have three things working in their life. Number one, they have a family relationship with the people of God. That's what it says, brother. Number two, they have a servant's heart. That they, in the context of their family, have learned how to serve. That's what's supposed to happen with people in the family. You teach the kids how to clean your room up, be responsible, teach them responsibilities, and when they get out, they can perpetuate those things. They get a job and be responsible in their job, so on and so forth. And then finally, they have to have this other thing, this soldier aspect. So you take, and I think the order is, ex- is extremely important. Number one, you've got to be part of the family. You've got to be a brother. Number two, you have to be a servant. So you add, you add the servant's heart to the brother's heart, and then you finally you add the soldier heart. And that equals a messenger and a minister. A message, and that's those three things if you'd like to get it down to a mathematical thing. So in the context of family, God designed the family to teach love and acceptance, right? The security in the home. Learn how to serve so you can grow the family, get some babies one day. So here's what the Lord's saying to us. All right, River Life Fellowship. Okay, you got that word? River Life Fellowship. Here's a new word. River Life Missions. Somewhere in the vintage time, those years, all right, here's your vineyard, you're the fellowship, and you're working in this vineyard. But then the vintage time comes, and he's saying, great, great, it's vintage time, now it's time for you to become a mission without stopping being a family. And that's really important, because you can't quit being one to be the other. That's, that's, that will take you down. And I want, I'll tell you this. The first directive word that was ever given to this church from the Lord, okay, happened like this. Neil Linker, Mr. Prophet back there, <laughs> gets up. This was back in the days. We got this missionary coming to speak, friend of Neil's. Neil says, man, it's so nice to be part of a missions church. That's what he said. I thought, missions church? But I knew that was the Lord speaking to us, that the Lord wanted us to be a missions church. That was God saying, this is the future of this church, is to be a missions church. It's not just to be a fellowship. But at the time, you know, you take what you got and what you know, and you, you go. So you have this progression. There's a progression from being a family, family of servants, Family, that's a mission. 
And you never deny the other. You never lose the other. So the question we had to ask, can we become a mission and still be a family? I mean, that's, a, that's the question the Lord wants. But my son-in-law said this to me. He said, Byron, this is the truth. And he's sort of outside the church world. I mean, he's a Christian, but he was sort of in the young life world, which a lot of people don't like, but they don't really understand what young life does. But he says, you got to be, he said, this is the way it works. You begin with the great commandment. That's loving God and loving one another. And you have to go somewhere to the great commission. But you don't never quit doing the great commandment. You understand what I'm saying? You never stop loving God. You never stop loving one another. But you've got to start doing the mission somewhere. And that's why there's organizations called Young Life, because the church quit doing the mission. You know, and they go after lost kids. I told you I went out there to camp. <laughs> All the girls were in thongs. and It's <laughs> like, man, what kind, of, what kind of Christian atmosphere is this? Oh, the hardest thing we got is keeping the girls and the boys off each other. <laughs> They're not Christians. What do you think? You know, we're not here trying to make them act like Christians. We're trying to get them saved. Then we'll fix that. No, then we're going to give them to you to fix them. <laughs> That's what they said. We'll get them saved, and then you can fix them. You can tell them they need to wear a different bathing suit. <laughs> Leave your boyfriend alone. <laughs> so, you know, the example of mathematics. Everybody understands math. This is for you people who struggle with math. Here's the way you do math. You can be very successful in math. You can do any math there is if you'll do one thing. When that guy teaches you how to add, you remember how to add. When he teaches you how to divide, you remember how to do that. When he teaches you how to multiply, you remember that. When he teaches you how to do exponents, you remember that. And you build and build and build. And you can do most extreme levels of calculus if you'll remember everything. It builds and builds. You never quit multiplying. The worst thing you could ever have is have an engineer who couldn't multiply something. You know, you can have all these mathematical problems. So that's sort of the way the, the thing comes. All right, now here's what the Lord said. Ephesians 3.10, put that up. Are y'all with me so far? All right. It says, to the intent, listen to this word, now. Everybody say that word, now. now. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And the key word, the Lord, somebody had that scripture, and they said, I, I feel like the Lord's giving me this scripture. And I feel like the word now is the main thing in, that he's saying is, it's now. And this person didn't know anything about the vintage time. Is now the time? Are we in the now time? Is it the vintage time? And I think if you look at what the Holy Spirit's already doing, you would have to be not seeing what the Holy Spirit was doing to say it wasn't the vintage time. And then I had this vision, and here's what the vision was. This was in this meeting. I had this vision of a corn crib. Do you all know what a corn crib is? Dean explained what a corn crib is. It's a bassinet where they put ears of corn in, and they put little blue and pink suits on. Some people actually think that's true. No. <laughs> a corn crib is this, this building where they take ears of corn and stack them up in there to dry out. So that's what a corn crib is. They put them in there, and that's sort of what their seed is. That's where they get their seed at. They, put, they stack all this corn in there somewhere. So I was sitting there, and I saw this door... And I saw this corn crib, and there was this door on this corn crib. And the corn crib looked like any corn crib you would see in the natural. It was just an old outbuilding. didn't have any paint on it, really, except for the door. The door on it was not a natural door. The door was a very spiritual door. It was, you know, it was something spiritual. And it had a real nice gold doorknob on it, but it was sort of tarnished gold. But I knew it was gold. And the rest of it, it was like you could stick your hand through the door if you wanted. The door was like at least a third open. It was open. And I knew it was a spiritual door. So I was sitting there and I thought, well, I'm just going to go in this corn crib and see what's in the corn crib. So I went into the corn crib and I walked in and I thought, wow, this is a cool corn crib. It is really nice. And it had all these compartments in it with all this corn stacked all over the place. And I said, Lord, what is, what is this? He said, that's your seed. That's your seed. I said, our seed, what does that mean, Lord? What does our seed mean? I was thinking, oh, I know what it means. It means we have worked all these years and finally we've gotten some fruit going here in this church. And I was saying that and then I realized the Lord said, that ain't what I'm saying. You ain't got nothing going. You've never done anything, as a matter of fact. You've never produced one thing. You weren't supposed to, you boy. You, what are you thinking you can produce something? <laughs> now he was saying this to me later. 
So I was saying, Lord, what does it mean then? Show me what it means. He gave me another vision. And in this vision, I was standing there and I saw this shack of a house. It was like what a sharecropper would live in. Many of you have seen those. There's probably still some of them around up in the northern part of our day. I, don't, I haven't seen any around here, but when I grew up, we was lots of them. We knew they were black people typically or, or Indian people or just real poor white people living there. And they would farm the land that belonged to somebody else and they would just barely live. So, but I was looking at this house and I thought, wow, that's, they have really taken good care of this shack. That's what I thought as I first thought. That shack is really neat and clean. They kept it clean. It's not trashy and junky. And then I looked around and I saw these cornfields that were everywhere around it. They were right up against the house. Cornfields. These, this corn was incredible corn. It was greener than any corn I have ever seen in my life. And it was huge. I mean, the, the uh, blades, I think that's what they call the leaf of a corn, they were that wide. They were tall. They were giant corn. Giant corn. And the Lord said, if you'll sow that seed in that corn crib, that, you will get a harvest if you'll just take it and sow it. If you'll just go in that corn crib, get the seed and go out there and sow that seed, you'll see a harvest like you've never seen in your entire life. It's a heavenly harvest. It's heavenly seed. You see what I'm saying? And the Lord's opened a door in heaven to us. And He's provided the seed. He gave me this scripture. Let me read this scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 through 12. Now, that's the key word. Everybody say now. Now, now this is what the Lord said to me. Listen, Byron, I've never asked any Christian, anybody to produce anything. I've, all I've asked you to do is bear fruit. Go right and read John chapter 15. It's my will that you bear much fruit. He didn't say, I want you to be a producer. He just says, I want you to bear what the fruit that I give you. Now, listen to this. He who supplies seed to the sower. You got that? He supplies it. That's what he let me see. There's a door open to this heavenly corn crib with seed in there. It's there for us. The door's open. If the door wasn't open, we couldn't go in there. But the door was open, so I went in. And I saw the corn. And then I saw the corn planted. He supplied the corn. He said, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Okay? Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. In other words, the Lord's saying, I will, I will multiply it. I'll give you the seed and then I will, I will multiply it if you'll sow it. And then I, then I will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now that's grace. That's God doing it. That's all we have to do is get the seed out of the corn crib and plant the seed. That's all we have to do. Heaven is open to us. You know, we can reach in there and get it. We can walk in there and get it. The first thing you'll see is a nice compartment right here, about 25 ears of corn stacked. Right there, right in the right side. Just grab an ear and go throw the seed. Okay. Are y'all with me? All right, so we've got to enter into His work. All right, now, here's the vision. Okay, told y'all that, man. Luke 4, 18 and 9. This is profound vision out of the Bible. <laughs> That's, I told Big, I said, the problem with my vision with this church is it's just nothing elaborate about it. It's, it's just out of the Bible, you know. It's too simple. All right, this has always been my personal vision. All right, but, you know, you've got to wait to the season or there's a time process, okay? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So my vision for our church, number one, is to practically, practically speaking, okay, practically and spiritually care for poor people. Okay? That's what it says right there. Preach the gospel to the poor. Number two is to heal, heal the sick. Heal the sick. Okay? That could be the, the spiritual sick or the physical sick. It doesn't matter. If they're sick, they sick. It doesn't, you know, there's no... It's just they're sick and they need healing. And releasing the tormented. Okay, that's the captives being set free. That's those who are oppressed. We don't have time to go back. And number two, or the last one, is creating family for people. Creating family. See, now that's the missing element. That's why I gave you the Philippians 2.25. Is we got to go to those people, but our church has to change. Our church has to change. Our church has to bring those people and make a family for those people. God wants to create family for people. 
who are poor, both poor naturally and poor spiritually. And I think he's saying now's the time to do it. Now, this is the time. I've given you this time. It's vintage time. I've come. It's time to do this. You've got to do this. It's time. And that will change us. In fact, I'll tell you that I had this terrible experience the other night. They were in here worshiping, doing the worship practice. And I was trying, I was here, and I, well, it's time for me to go now, but I'm going home, Becky, and I'm letting her know I'm not going to be here when she leaves. So I, tried, I kept trying to leave, and I couldn't leave for some reason. I was just so blessed. The Lord was ministering to me, and I was, Lord, thank you, you know, for, thank you for Clyde, Lord. Thank you for Amy and for Ryan who got here late. And, <laughs> so on and so forth and Tony, me Lord I'm just so thankful for those people that really love you and are here and I just felt like it's not going to be the same anymore that's what I felt and I kept leaving and I kept thinking the Lord, I felt the Lord saying you need to you need to savor it it's going to change it's going to change so I sat there, and finally I got up. I'm leaving now. I'm tired of this. I need to go home. I've been here all day. It's 9 o'clock. I'm tired. Walking out the door, and I stopped out on the sidewalk. And it's like the Lord said, one more time, Byron. You need to savor it, because it's going to change. And I don't really understand what that means, okay? I really don't understand what that means. But I just know this. Um, well, here's a couple things. Are you all okay? Keep going for a couple more minutes. Or you want me to just quit? Psalm 68.6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Man, that's maybe some people suffering from dryness because they're being rebellious. But really, God sets the solitary in families. Y'all got that? Let me say it one more time. God sets the solitary in families. That's what God does. His work. That's what He does. That's what He wants to do. And He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. All right, Isaiah 58, verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you, listen to this, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? See, I'm not just suggesting that we be a missions church and we go do outreaches and go send missionaries. All that's great. I'm saying, listen, I want to take it the next step. I want to bring them to us. I want to bring them in and teach them how to be a part of the family. Teach them how the Lord accepts you. The Lord loves you. You can be prosperous. You can be blessed. You can be, you can, we can give you what we've got, then you can give it to other people. That's not an easy thing to do because it messes up everybody because they're sinners. <laughs> Bring the poor into the house. Bring, or when you see the naked, that you cover him and hide not yourself from your own flesh. In other words, don't quit taking care of your own. But So um, I was thinking just one of the things the Lord enabled me to do with my life is to see my life the heritage that God's given me from my family and I would literally this literally happened to me several times growing up I would wake up in the morning and there would be people in my house that were not there the night before and those people would be people that my parents took into the house because they were messed up something happened the daddy got drunk and beat them and they fled and they came to our house because they knew they could find a place to live and so I grew up in a home and Becky grew up in a home this is spiritual heritage of reaching out to people. I, I told you a story. My daddy got thrown out of the church that he was in because he reached out to people, Laotian people, and they weren't Christians. They were into the Buddha thing, and they were talking Buddha, talking the church, and they tossed my daddy over it because he loved those people. See, and I know, I've learned this. Our parents impart who they are to us. My daddy was a pretty rough guy. But he imparted something to me. He gave me something. He gave me this thing in me that wants to do this stuff. And I'm thinking, why do I want to do this stuff, Lord? That's just out of character for me. You know? But it's, it's a spiritual heritage. It's what it is. It's what God has put me on the earth for. And I've shared with you how my family left God in the sense and they became bitter people when they quit doing this. And I was all down on them until the Lord said, well, what are you doing about it? I was trying to show it to you about not just about your sisters. And I thought about Harry Bazell, which happens to be Mary Mead's granddaddy. Lord bless him. He was our pastor, and Harry was crazy, man. Never go to Harry Bazell for counsel. i tell you that right now. He would confuse you to no end. But I'll tell you one thing that Harry Bazell did for me, okay, that I got from him. is Harry Bazell was one of the most creative human beings I have ever seen in my life. 
And he was this man who totally lives out of his heart. And somehow or another, I don't know why, but last week when Molly was up here singing, I thought, man, Harry would love Molly. Why would Harry love Molly? When Molly said, listen, we're not up here doing a concert. This is who I am. And Harry, in his own way, back then was trying to teach us, you've got to be true to who you are. You can't try to be something else. He tried to teach us that. And it's something you sort of, like I say, you, it gets imparted to you. I don't know if you ever said, said that. But I think that's really important, that we be who we are. You know, as a church, we've got to be who we are. And I feel like what I said to you, caring for the poor, healing the sick, releasing the torment, and creating family for people is who God says we are. And I feel like God's saying, now's the time to do that. And uh, so, practically speaking, are y'all with it? That's the vision. I mean, that's real profound, isn't it? <laughs> it's real profound. So, we've got to ask the Lord, how do we practically do this? Okay, now this was the hurdle for me. Okay, I had it, because I'm telling you, if we believe this, and you've got to be the judge and jury on it, we feel like the first step, a practical step for us doing that is, in our church, we are going to, uh, start to uh, we're going to have two church services, okay, starting in January, and as a practical step to fulfilling this vision, because you've got to have practical steps. Because, you know, my vision is not for church growth on any level. Believe me, I'm thinking, I don't want to grow the church. Lord, if you're talking about growing the church and that's all we're doing, forget it. I'm out. I'm dialed out of that deal. But God wants to grow the church in order for... In other words, he wants to bring the torment and the sick. He wants to grow them with them people. He'd like to grow them with some more stable people also that can sort of help out with the tormented and sick. <laughs> I'm looking for people who are stable. Like, can you help do some deliverance here and pray for these people? I don't want them all coming and talking to me because they get messed up real bad. I might pull Harry on them and start confusing them. So I believe the Lord, that's something the Lord wants us to do. And that will be a, you know, that will make us different right there. So we feel like that's something God wants us to do, so we're, we're planning on doing that. Um, so, anyways, that's about all I could say this morning. And so you're the jury. You can make the judgment on it. Again, if I could honestly say this, everything I share with you, I feel is the Lord. I feel like now's the time. I feel like our practical steps are as best I can understand them because we got all these words from people. I could give you 17 prophetic words, but I'm not going to do all that in dreams and... But I just want to say this one more time. Just, and I really want you to get this, just to really honor the Lord. If we don't do any of this stuff, I'm good with God. And God's good with me. Because I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to give my life to God whether I'm, my dreams and my visions and all that I feel in my heart are fulfilled or not. That's just not the point. Because God's just taking good care of me right now in my life. And I'm enjoying God probably more now than I ever have in my entire life. So I'm good with it because I'm good with God. But I really would sort of like to do what God wants me to do. <laughs> I'd like to jump in on that too. So, Amen. And I'll let Matthew just you know, close us and et cetera, whatever. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your vision. God, to deliver those who are bound. God, we thank you for your vision, God, to heal sick people, Lord. And we thank you for your heart, God, to um, preach the gospel to the poor, Lord. And God, this word that uh, Byron spoke, God, I just pray that you would really implant that in all of our hearts. And God, that we can unite behind the vision that you've given us, Lord. And that we, Lord, that we can really be a part of your kingdom. Lord, in a real practical way. So we just thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah.